none of us are immune to procrastination. Now, you might be expecting me to kick off this episode by providing some hand-picked examples of how we procrastinate in our lives. This is not going to happen because I was in the black hole of procrastination while I was preparing this script. So I ended up not having enough time to write a proper intro. Yeah, and I definitely remember this feeling. That's the exact same feeling as I submitted my graduation thesis two hours before the deadline. Hi everyone! It's another episode of Questions in Our Twenties, the podcast where we dive into the challenges and questions that our second decade of life throws at us. Together, we tackle the quarter-life crisis one episode at a time. And today's episode is all about procrastination, the pesky little habit of ours that we all try to shake off to no avail. We're diving headfirst into this all-too-familiar territory as we try to understand why we avoid work and how we can break free from the clutches of procrastination to actually get things done. Ready? Let's jump right in. In Tim Urban's insightful TED Talk, "Inside the Mind of a Master Procrastinator," he breaks down procrastination into two core types, and I gave these two types my own names. The first type is short-term procrastination. This is the type that we are most familiar with. It's the dishes in the sink staring you down. It's the looming unpaid bills. It's the pending assignment due next week that sends chills down your spine. Ill, and just voicing it out is enough to send my anxiety levels skyrocketing. There was a time when I submitted a report just、um, two minutes before its due time. Not recommend at all. I would say it's definitely a miracle, and I know.、Uh, thank you, universe, that there was no power cuts or like laptop crashes in the last two minutes. But predictably, the grades didn't totally agree with my last-minute and I know last two-minute strategy. But this is the nature of short-term procrastination. We feel obliged to complete these tasks. With tangible deadlines and expectations from people around us, like our parents, our teachers, or managers, pushing us to complete these tasks, so we don't need to see our lives turn into an utter chaos. And the helper in this case is what Team Urban calls the panic monkey. The monkey can be your mom's scolding, can be the dread of a dipping credit score. Or can be terrifying prospect of retaking a failed module next semester. That is to say, the panic monkey is the feel that ultimately gets these tasks across the finish line. Then there is the other, more insidious kind of procrastination, and even the most self-disciplined among us aren't immune to it. That is what I'd like to call long-term. Procrastination. This one's a bit of a pantom. You don't see any deadlines there, and the effects of procrastination aren't boxed in. Instead, they ripple outwards indefinitely. Maybe you've been toiling with the idea of starting your own business. Maybe you have been imagining to start a YouTube channel, or maybe. 
You have been trying to nail the Blackpink dance. This could also be about your personal life, like visiting the grandparents you've been too swamped to see, stepping into the gym for the first time since you got that membership card, or working on your relationship, or even getting out of a relationship that isn't working. In all these examples, we don't see a concrete deadline, and there is also no immediate consequence of not doing the thing. But here's the catch: these pursuits can lead to a life of greater fulfillment, a life you didn't even realize you were missing out. As Urban profoundly puts it, the frustration is not that they couldn't achieve their dreams; it's that they weren't even able to start chasing them. In this episode, we'll dive into both types of procrastination: their causes, consequences, and the tools and mindset needed to combat them. If one type resonates more with you, feel free to jump ahead to the relevant section. You can find the timestamps in the show notes. So buckle up as we navigate the winding roads of procrastination. Let's start with short-term procrastination, shall we? You might be wondering. Why are we subject to procrastination even when we're fully aware that it's a bad thing? It's not in our best interest. Well, the answer isn't as simple as laziness or lack of motivation. Procrastination is more like a battle between immediate and delayed gratification. It's like a, a tug war within us. As human beings, we are programmed to desire immediate pleasure, which is Embedded in our genes, which is why it can be so hard to resist the temptation. Here's the intriguing part: procrastination is actually our body's quirky way of trying to defending us, protecting us. It happens when we perceive an incoming threat, maybe a presentation we need to prepare, or maybe a report that needs to be written. To our brains, these tasks aren't just tasks; they are energy-sapping threats that can rob us of immediate pleasure and potentially lead to disappointment if the outcomes aren't as great as we had expected. So, who's the culprit behind these reactions? Enter the amygdala. Yay, I pronounced it right.、Um, it's our emotional processing and threat identification neurons. When it senses these threats, it sends out a flurry of hormones, adrenaline included, which trigger a fear response. This type of stress-induced panic often trumps the calming, long-term thinking impulses from our prefrontal cortex, and that's a part of our brain that typically helps us think long-term and regulate our emotions. And here it is: the cure to procrastination. Or rather, let's say some possible anecdotes. I have curated nine techniques for you, and trust me, some might sound familiar, but once combined, they're like a strategy which you can take step by step. For your convenience, I've added timestamps in the show notes, so please feel free to skip the techniques that you find familiar with, or just jump to whatever interests you the most. Kicking things off, let's talk about the brain dump. Brain dump is all about spilling your thoughts on the page in whatever form that takes. 
You can write a list of your worries. You can write down your actual to-do list, or you can feel associate and write down whatever pops into your head. Personally, writing down an extensive to-do list works best for me. When these tasks are all in our brain, they feel like so so endless and so daunting. But when I get them done on a piece of paper, they are actually fewer than I thought, and I can literally see that. There is an end to it, and from the list, I'll see. Okay, many of them can be done in a very short period of time, maybe like two minutes even, and many of them are just not that important to me. Maybe I don't even have to do them at all. This exercise frees up our headspace, so our brain can be capable of more creative or in-depth work. Rather than being used as a folder to store our tasks, now that we know what we're dealing with, it's time for action. Motivation should follow action, not the other way around. Motivation is not something we can just sit around and wait for it to come to us. It's something we should proactively build up by taking actions. As Mel Robbins beautifully put in her famous TED Talk, "How to Stop Schooling Yourself Over." You're never gonna feel like it, <laughs> ever. No one's coming. Motivation isn't happening. You're never gonna feel like it. I know. In that talk, Mel Robbins introduced the five-minute rule. But what we are Gonna cover in the second technique here is the two-minute rule. If a task takes less than two minutes, do it now. Don't put it off. Be it doing the dishes or jotting down the outline of your essay, just get it done, fast and simple. David Allen in his book. Getting things done introduced us to this rule. It's surprising how accomplishing one small task can make us feel feel a sense of victory and that we are already productive. It serves as a stepping stone for us to accomplish larger tasks or other parts of a big task. Just as James Clear articulates in his book Atomic Habits. The friction that causes procrastination is usually centered around starting a behavior. Once you begin, it's often less painful to keep working. That's also the reason why I'm not a big fan of the eating the frog method. Because whenever I wake up thinking, "Oh, I have to deal with the frog first thing in the morning," I don't even want to get up, and I just want to roll back to bed right away. However, a word of caution. The two-minute rule can be a double-edged sword if not used properly. We might start prioritizing tiny tasks over the truly important ones, or waste our precious energy on chaining together too many small tasks. My advice is from my own experience. I try to set a limit to the number of small tasks I can tackle each day. Say today I'm gonna wash the dishes and fold the laundry. And that's it. These tasks, especially if your living space looks like mine, can be unending. The goal is to use these small wings to build momentum for tackling larger tasks. Okay, let's move on to tactic number three: set the bar low. 
Looking back at the list from your brain dump, do you see any tasks that seem too big or too scary? Sometimes our fear stems not from the task itself, but from the high expectations we set. Let's bring it down a notch to illustrate. Last year, one of my New Year resolutions is to publish fifty-two videos a year. Yes, I also have a video content channel, which means I need to post one video a week, nonstop. Realizing how daunting this task is, my reaction was not okay. Let me bucket it up and just go for it. Work hard to die die. No, my reaction was okay. That's hard. Maybe I'm just gonna take a few breaks, and after I stopped posting several times, I realized, Jesus, it's impossible to reach fifty-two, so I might as well just rest more. Then I stopped posting for a few months, and when I was doing my mid-year review, I knew I have to lower the bar in order to keep myself going. So I changed my goal. Instead of fifty-two videos, I reduced my goal to thirty videos, which is suddenly manageable. And I actually picked up the pace again. And another way to make a seemingly unattainable task manageable, also another technique, is to break it down into small chunks. It can be to list out steps you need to take. Or write down the outline for a very long essay. Completing those small chunks will give you instant gratification and motivation to do more. Next technique: optimize your environment. You know how you suddenly turn into a productivity machine the moment you move your butt from your bed to a library or a coffee shop. And also, we can deliberately create a low distraction environment at home. Place your phone on airplane mode, use a website blocker on your laptop, or just put all distracting items in another room or a drawer. Out of sight, out of mind. If you're interested in more tips on how to optimize your environment, I would highly recommend the book "Willpower Doesn't Work" by Dr. Benjamin Hardy. In which he dives deeper into the magic of manipulating your environment to make it work for you. Next technique: self-imposed deadlines. I know there are parents who tell their kids, "If you don't finish your homework by 10 p.m., it will be bedtime, and I'll cut off your power." And yeah, something like that. My my parents never told me like that. Those kids tend to be more productive, more energetic, is because they. Don't stay up late, and they can also handle time pressure better in exams. They just don't procrastinate as much, and why? Because they have deadlines. Deadlines are what make the panic monkey work for us. So, if there isn't a deadline, why not create one for yourself? It could be make a commitment to your boss to submit、um, a task. It could be announce a publish date. To your audience, suddenly procrastination isn't that tempting anymore. Move on to the next one: time blocking or Pomodoro technique. 
This one might be very familiar to you. Working intensely for a set amount of time, say twenty-five minutes, then taking a short break. The mechanism behind it is that one twenty-five minutes seems manageable. Two, our level of discomfort and reluctance and resistance of doing something is real, both mentally and physically real. But they will fade away after about twenty minutes. So that's why, after we trick ourselves into finishing the first part, the first twenty minutes, we'll feel it's not that bad or it's not that uncomfortable to carry on, and we'll gradually get into the zone. Time blocking works similarly for some people, me included. Twenty minutes isn't just the right amount of time for me, so I prefer to do longer times, like time block one hour or、um, two hours in my calendar. On the one hand, I feel I have enough time to focus and fully immerse myself into the task at hand. On the other hand, I also have a time box. Okay, cool. Purest technique number eight: take care of your well-being. Procrastination is not just in your mind. Do you find yourself getting distracted more easily when you don't get enough sleep? Do you find yourself fall asleep more easily when you don't take care of your diet? Because yes, our willpower has its limit. It's like a battery, but taking care of our health. Can help extend those limits, can give it longer battery life, and can give us more energy. Now it's the last technique: know when to stop working. Sometimes you just hit a wall. You just don't want to do anything, even if you tried all the techniques above. It's because you are exhausted. You are burnt out. Those are the times when you need to stop and reset. Sure, pushing through might help you take a few more tasks off your to-do list today, but it could also leave you drained and unproductive and miserable tomorrow. There's a great tip in the book. Keep going. Pause when you still feel like you're capable of doing more, and do them tomorrow. It's all about being sustainable and taking care of yourself. Sometimes being able to stop working when you still feel like it is just as important as stop working when you don't feel like it. All right, folks, let's now shift our gears and talk about long-term procrastination. You know, the YouTube channel you always dreamed of starting, the business idea gathering dust in your notebook. The life you've always wanted to live but haven't yet. If we look deep enough, we'll see that all these unfulfilled dreams and ideas can be boiled down to one thing: fear. Fear of failure, fear of embarrassment, fear of putting in the hard work. I really love the way how Elizabeth Gilbert summarized or say listed. The fears in her book *Big Magic*. I'll share a few from her list that resonate with me the most. You're afraid. You have no talent. You're afraid somebody else already did it better. You're afraid 
everybody else already did it better. You're afraid your dreams are embarrassing. You're afraid you don't have the right kind of self-discipline. You're afraid you don't have the right kind of discipline. You're afraid you don't have the right kind of workspace or financial freedom or empty hours in which to focus on invention or exploration. You're afraid of upsetting your family with what you may reveal. You're afraid your best work is behind you. You're afraid you never had any best work to begin with. You're afraid you're too old to start. You're afraid you're too young to start. You're afraid because something went well in your life once, so obviously nothing can ever go well again. You're afraid because nothing has ever gone well in your life, so why bother trying? The list can go on and on, and yes, it's a it's a depressing and and heavy list. But here's the thing: our fears are so similar; they're so identical to everyone's fear. I know you can take a few off from this list. So do I. They're so common, predictable, and very boring. Just as Gilbert puts it, I somehow figured out that my fears have no variety to it, no depth, no substance, no texture. I noticed that my fear never changed, never delighted, never offered a surprise twist or an unexpected ending. That is to say, fear is the boring. There is nothing special about your fear. That's just something keeps your life mundane and keep you ordinary. So, I'd say, don't let these things hold you back. You don't need to let them make you procrastinate on the things you want to do. So, go ahead, post that first video, draft your business pitch, and start building the life you want. Don't let the fear chain you down. I really like this quote: "You have to become a disaster before you become a master." And hey, even if you don't become a master, that's also perfectly okay. Who said you have to succeed at everything all the time in your life? Just give it a shout. And if you decide to quit. It's completely fine. The choice is still there. It's just better informed. You will still gain valuable experience and memories. Okay, that's a wrap for today. Thank you for spending this time with me. I'm Kitty, as in Hello Kitty, and you've been listening to Questions in Our Twenties. If you enjoyed this episode, do hit that subscribe button. Have a great rest of your day, and I'll catch you in the next episode.